You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Hey, podcast land. Welcome back to the show. For any of you new people out there, my name is John Hutsmith, and this is the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast. I can't wait to get into the show today, but first I want to give you guys a little update on what's been going on with me. I headed out to our property on Saturday with the old chainsaw, and first thing I did was drive around and check all my trail cameras. I had, I want to say, six out on this property. No, that's not right. More than that. I want to say eight. Somewhere in there. And so I drove around and checked every single one of them. I forgot new batteries. I bought them. I just forgot to take them with me. And so I did not get to put fresh batteries in any of them. Uh, but I did. P- I picked up a few that weren't in a good spot. I moved some around, put out a couple, uh, checked all, the, all of them, the cards. No big surprises. You know, I had deer on them, but I didn't have like a new buck that showed up or anything like that. Uh, I did learn a little bit. It was really cool just seeing deer move throughout the property. Uh, just going from like early season to the rut and then to late season and then after season, like, you know, the, the biggest deer I had on the property this year, I ended up having him on one, two, three, four different cameras. And the furthest ones were probably close to a mile apart. And so it was really cool seeing him move from one spot to the other. And then the other two cameras I had him on were like in between those two cameras. And so I got to watch him kind of make his shift from one area to the other area, which he did in like early October. And then around around Christmas time, I think, was uh, he actually moved back. And so I was actually hunting him uh, in January, or I wanted to hunt him in January, but he had already moved back to where he summered. And so that was an interesting thing to watch. 
couple other bucks, same thing. Uh, the buck, the, if you listen to the episode where I talked about wounding the buck with my muzzleloader, had a few more pictures of him, so it's good to see him still out there and, and uh, just surviving. So that was very encouraging. So that was about all I had with the trail cameras. And then, like I said, I took my chainsaw and I went down into our big deep canyon at the back of my brother's place and went to work on some cedars. And I cut for probably two hours or so, enough to give me, you know, work up a sweat, even though it was pretty chilly outside. Uh, Cut for about two hours, cleared, I want to say roughly an acre but the way it kind of laid out, there was a little opening on each side of this little section that I cut. So it really opened up about two acres. And I have at least an one at least one more acre to clear there before I move on to the next spot. And I I have oh man, I have several spots I want to cut. This year my goal is to probably get three three of those spots cut in uh before the twenty twenty one deer season. And so work my way through that. Uh, I was angry at myself. I saw, I saw one really big group of hogs over at my dad's, and I didn't. Or no, I'm sorry. Those I was out of range, and then I saw. I, I'm pretty sure it was a larger group. I only saw two, but they were right on the edge of the woods, and saw two hogs over at my brother's, and I didn't have a gun with me at that point. And so, lesson learned. I should know better at this point. I always have a gun with me, but the hogs got off scot free. I also discovered over at my dad's, uh, we have some river frontage, and we've been losing little bits of land here and there as, you know, the water rises and stuff, and uh, we had some trees finally growing along the bank, and we were real excited about them. We'd actually tried to plant some trees there before, just to kind of stabilize the bank to keep it from washing away, but we finally had some just naturally pop up, and they were probably four, about four four or five years old now at this point. And so they were finally, you know, getting some size on them and, you know, actually doing some good. And I was just driving around and kind of drove down there. And a beaver has gone to town on those trees. I was so angry. Like, we need these trees, again, to help stabilize the bank. And these beavers are just sawing them down as quick as they can. And so I didn't have a chance this weekend. But next time I go back uh, out there... I am definitely taking some traps or guns or something, and I'm going to hunt down these beavers. So that's my new goal for 2021, at least this winter when they're uh, they are just devastating these poor trees. So, oh, what else? I had planned to do some duck hunting, but that ended up not working out. And by the time this episode drops, duck season will be over. And so missed my chance there. Uh, I did kill a few ducks this year, but not re- honestly not near as many as I usually do. Just kind of the way it worked this year. And, uh, you know, when I don't kill uh, a buck until January, it just takes a lot out of my duck hunting time. And so what else, what else? I guess that's about it. Uh, a lot more I want to do out there uh, and before turkey season, uh, kind of like I talked about on the last podcast. But that's all I've got to do for now, so... Moving right along into this week's podcast, I've been kind of saving this episode, uh, but I'm ready to get it out there. This is an episode that me and my brother and two of our good childhood buddies recorded on the way home from our 2020 Idaho DIY elk hunt. And so you'll hear a little background noise. Sorry, we were in the truck and I was just basically recording it on my phone, but it's pretty entertaining, I think. Uh, you know, I think everybody can learn a little something. We sure learned a lot on this trip. 
this trip was a whole lot different than previous years. This was the third time we've done this trip. And then, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it or not, I went to school, went to college in Idaho, actually. So I did quite a bit of elk hunting while I was up there. And so, uh, since, you know, since I graduated, we've gone back a couple of times and this was coming again, coming home from that trip. And so it's just a fun, it's fun looking back on it and remembering. And the reason I wanted to do this this time of year is because we're kind of going or we're starting, you know, tag season, whether you're applying for tags or you're looking into over the counter tags, uh, you know, all that is coming up real soon. So I wanted to let this episode go to kind of, Hopefully teach y'all something, get the conversation started, and hopefully inspire you to do a little research so you can go on a trip like this uh, yourself. So we had a great time. I'm going to let the episode roll. I don't want to ruin any of the stories right now. Um, So yeah, again, this is me, my brother Luke, our friend Ryan, our friend Charles, and then I had an old Idaho buddy, Jasper, who was not on this because he lives in Idaho still. And he was actually still hunting while we recorded this on the way home. So so enough of my yammering. I'm going to go ahead and play this interview again. I'm sorry for the background noise. Like I said, we recorded it in the truck. We had a really long 24-hour drive, and I think that we recorded this somewhere around hour 18 to 20. So we were all pretty exhausted from the drive. But uh, anyway, I think you guys will enjoy it. You may have to turn it up a little bit to hear us talking but here we are on our drive home from our 2020 Idaho elk hunt. Hey everybody, welcome to the mobile podcast. If you hear a little background noise, that's because we're recording this in the truck on our way home from Idaho. Uh, we've been in the truck about 20 hours already on the way home. Still got about four left to do, so uh, we're a little tired and a little wired, but we want to turn the podcast on and just basically tell you all of our stories and what we learned, what we did wrong, what we did right, and uh, so yeah, we're going to get right into it, but first I'm going to let these guys uh, introduce themselves real quick, starting on my left. I'm John's older brother, Luke. I'm Ryan. And I'm uh, John's friend and confidant, Charles. <laughs> and uh, the four of us have known each other since, I don't know, over, 20, over 25 years, really. Uh, we all grew up together. And then, unfortunately, not on the podcast is my good buddy, Nathan Jasper, uh, who spent the week with us. He's from Idaho. He and I met in college, and uh, we meet up and hunt together. So he's not here, unfortunately, but uh, he's actually still out there hunting. So, uh, yeah, we're wishing him luck. But uh, anyway, so uh, just give a quick little background on the trip. Uh, We've been planning this for really about two years. Uh, We tend to go every other year. Uh, but uh, two of these guys had to have kids last year, and we were supposed to go, but we didn't get to. So got, got postponed to this year. Um, so yeah, so uh, we were obviously doing a archery over-the-counter elk hunt in Idaho, and uh, we packed up and left uh, on a Friday night. It's about a 24-hour drive. We drove all the way through the night. We got to camp about I think it was about 11 o'clock when we actually parked up in the mountains. Uh, living at night and so uh the first night we basically just set up camp and we decided to sleep in a little bit the next morning we we, you know we only slept about two hours on the way up so we slept till about eight got up made sure all of our gear was good uh shot our bows and one quick thing i wanted to say about that just how important it is to shoot your bows before you go out after traveling uh two of the four bows needed to be adjusted 
uh, after the drive. So just want to throw that out there. Always shoot your bow. Oh yeah, mine was and, off at 20 yards by like five inches. Yeah, yeah. So mine was about five or six inches. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, always shoot your bow. So we got that stuff dialed about uh, probably 10, 10.30, something like that, and took off out the mountain. And so I'm going to pass to Luke. Luke's going to kind of run us through the first day a little bit. So uh, One thing we want to do this year different, we usually just kind of set up a camp at the base of the mountain by the pickup, and uh, we used to bring this really crappy vault in. We threw it away after the last trip. Uh, so this year we decided to all get backpacking gear and do spike camps out there. Um, we thought it was going to be a big advantage to basically hike hike in, basically spend the whole first day just hiking into the backcountry. Um, but uh, the route we chose ended up being a little more difficult than we thought. <laughs> uh, we made it to where we were wanting to go. After uh, taking a wrong turn. Yeah, after taking a, <laughs> we a, a bit of wrong turn. Went up the wrong drainage and quickly turned to plan B, but it worked out. So. And uh, and eventually made it up to the spot we wanted to hide, uh, wanted to get to uh, and had a little bit of time to, uh, to hunt that evening from where we were. Um, one thing that we didn't plan out very well was basically... We ended up camping in probably kind of a prime spot, sign everywhere, which there was sign all over the place, everywhere we went. Um, uh, I think we all did pretty good, but it was also kind of a shock to the system going from, you know, 500 feet at home, uh, driving all night, and then just immediately throwing on our packs, basically, and heading up, you know, 2,000 feet in elevation. Yeah, from our base camp to where we camped that night was 2,000 feet. And I think we were at 9,500 feet. Yeah, and, and like Luke like said, <laughs> we had just come from 500 feet. <laughs> so quite a shock. Yeah, it was, I, I think even uh, even our Idaho native, Jasper, was huffing and puffing pretty good. And at one time, uh, me and him were kind of up in the front. And uh, he kind of looked at me and was like, oh, screw this. we got to find something different. So <laughs> we kind of bailed on that drainage and side-hilled up. Uh, another spot to get up to the top of the ridge and I took the top of the ridge up the rest of the way because um, that drainage just got pretty nasty with a lot of downfall and stuff um, but yeah so that was kind of the death hike but you know after after a few days of being up there we ended up making I think all of us at different times made pretty much that exact same hike mm-hmm. um, at, at other times and did it a lot easier so we definitely kind of got our legs under us after the first couple days and, and we're able to do that yeah. so we got up uh it was, i think it was about five o'clock when we got up to the little bench we were gonna uh camp on and got our tent set up real quick and then split up for the evening to do some glassing and uh ryan charles and i uh went up and then luke and jasper went down and i'm gonna let ryan tell you all a little bit about what we saw that evening yeah, we got up to uh, really probably the highest point on that ridge line and were able to glass over a meadow. Um, I mean, it was, we pretty well sat down and mm-hmm. spotted some elk kind of in a different drainage and they were feeding out towards the meadow. And uh, at the bottom of that meadow, we saw uh, a little kind of raghorn five point push a cow down into a little bowl uh, 
and then he ended up coming back out later. What were they, about a 1,000 yards from us? Yeah, I think we figured out about 1,200 yards. About 1,200 yards. Um, and that was a pretty good-sized meadow. I mean, we didn't know that yeah. until we went over there the next day. Yeah, and then those cows, they were in that kind of that other drainage. They ended up working out into that meadow, and we knew, or we didn't know, but we figured there had to be a bull with them, and uh, sure enough, finally, um, a bull came out with them, and he was... We, we never got that close to him, but he was a very good bull. I mean, he was a big, he was big point. His fourths were very noticeable. I mean, they were they were extremely long. So, I mean, he was a 300-plus bull. I mean, he was, he was really nice. Um, and so that was really exciting, that first evening, seeing... What did we see, Charles? Like 15 elk? Yeah, I think there ended up, final count being, uh, like, 13. Yeah, 13. So two bulls... One of them really good. One of them we'd all be happy with. Uh, and so, and we even heard a little bit of calling that night. And we had some bulls responding and, you know, bugling. And so, and at that point, I don't think we had seen any other hunters yet. No, we hadn't seen any hunters that no. day. And a couple at the bottom. Like, we knew there was Yeah, with all, there was we a bunch of camps. There, but we yeah. just hadn't seen. We so passed we thought a bunch maybe we'd gotten back there, you know, and we're, we're sitting good. Yeah. And we uh, so we had watched the raghorn push a cow into this bowl, across the meadow and into this bowl. The bull came back, and then the big bull pushed his cows all the way across back the meadow into that, into that same bowl. Yeah. And so we thought we, you know, we thought we had our position A. The only thing we hadn't figured out was water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, it, yeah. It was very, very, very dry this year. And actually, so we were camped on the creek. And we didn't even have water at our camp down at the bottom. It was kind of funny. Like, as you hiked up, you'd be next to the water, and then the water would just disappear. And then you'd come to another spring, and you'd have water, and that one would disappear. And uh, basically, we kept expecting to find another water source, and we didn't. And so, by the time we hiked up to, you know, 2,000 feet, we had already used quite a bit of our water, and we had no chance of getting water up at our camp. And so... We wanted to just dive straight off and go across to where that bull had disappeared to, but you know we were looking at the maps and we just we couldn't guarantee that we had water over there. We kind of assumed mm -hmm. in that bowl because looking on Onyx, yeah. you could tell there had there, we assumed there was water there, but we weren't really willing to. And I think we confirmed later there was not. No, there was. Uh, there was. Yeah, we confirmed later that there yeah, was, but at the time down. we didn't know it. Yeah. And so, real quick before we end day one, I want to let Charles tell the story. Ryan actually got a shot at something. <laughs> yeah. I'll let Charles tell Charles it. Charles is still <laughs> feeling that. <laughs> As we're at the top of this scree, I mean, just a little scree field, looking across, watching these bulls, I take my uh, my binoculars down, and I notice a little head pop up in front of us, and it's a and it's a grouse. And I'm not real well versed in like the different species of grouse, but it's pretty high up there. And so I, I kind of over to these guys. And Ryan had told us on the way up that people have been known to hum rocks and uh, and kill grouse. And so <laughs> I see the look on his face as he picks up a rock as he proceeds. Granted, it was a good throw. He skips it. <laughs> he skips it into the bird, but the bird was able to get away. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you were at 0 for 3 on grouse? <laughs> well, 0 for 2, but I missed one of them twice. Yeah. <laughs> Bad, badly twice. <laughs> so, uh, so that pretty much ended day one. And so we went back down to camp. Luke and Jasper were there. 
uh, had our first, you know, overnight up in the mountains, and it was cool. Uh, woke up the next morning, and again, we really wanted to get, you know, we talked about it again, maybe trying to go straight to that bowl, but we just, basically, we couldn't risk it. We didn't, you know, if we got over there and there was no water, we would be kind of screwed, and so... We decided that we were going to go down to the bottom, get water, and then probably head back up. Uh, but we just, you know, we were, we decided to hunt our way down, and we, we were getting uh, responses. We were calling, and Jasper had kind of warned us. He he'd hunted the day before we got up there, and he had warned us that they were being a little call shy. And so we were kind of holding back uh, on the bugles at this point, uh, doing a lot of cow calling. and uh, I think that was an understatement. Yeah, yeah, at that yeah at that time we didn't know how call shy they were, uh, but there was a bull, and I mean we ended up hearing this bull all week long. Uh, he had like a real weird kind of grunt. He he never really fully bugled. It was just kind of a weird grunt, or we'd hear him chuckle, and uh, he had a real slow chuckle. Yeah, a real yeah. slow chuckle. Kind of sounded funny, and uh, I wouldn't say we had a close call with him, but we. I mean, he was responding to us. We hunted our way down, and then just kind of the lower we got, the less interested he got. So, got to the bottom, got our water, decided to split up. Uh, Ryan and Jasper uh, headed up one ridge, and I guess, did Luke, Luke, did you go with them that second day? I don't remember. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan and Luke, y'all went together, and y'all went up, and then Jasper and me and Charles decided to go to that meadow where we had seen the elk the night before. Uh, wasn't a terrible hike getting back up there, but it wasn't fun either. Um, it was a lot easier than that first day. A lot easier than the first day. And uh, we decided to split up. Jasper went to the left side of the men, uh, meadow. Charles and I went to the right. Um, and I should also mention, Charles actually did not have an elk tag. Uh, the state of Idaho sold out very quickly this year. Uh, thanks, and so, COVID. Yeah, thanks, COVID. Charles tried to get a deer tag. They had also sold out of deer tags, and so he had a bear tag. Uh, And so he was tagging along, being a great sport, helping us out, looking for a bear. Um, So Charles and I make it all the way over to this bowl, and we're trying to decide whether we want to set up kind of more on the meadow part or the bowl part. We finally decide we're going to set up kind of at the edge of the bowl where we can peek over and look at the meadow. And uh, all of a sudden we look over, and there's another hunter and kind of went in yeah like normal civilian clothes yeah shorts and a t-shirt like just walk around town clothes yep and uh he walks up to a tree probably no more than 50 yards from us and proceeds to strip down to his underwear and and give himself a little washcloth bath and i'm sitting there talking to charles like like is he gonna sit there and, and sure enough like I see him and like he has boots already under the tree and he pulls out these boots and puts them on and so I'm like the Charles the funny we- thing about the encounter is it is it totally uh, showcases uh, our natural tendencies to react to like adversity John's like giving him the benefit of the doubt hey I'm gonna go talk to this guy and immediately my deal was like this guy's pissing me off <laughs> I'm not moving I don't care what he's doing John was like ah we yeah. He had his stuff sitting under that tree. Yeah, I thought he might have just, you know, went down to get some water or something. But He had pre-positioned so, boots all over the place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, I let him get dressed, walk over there, and turns out we had walked by his camp on our way up. And this guy, his name was Neil. He was an older gentleman. 
and he's basically living all of our retirement dreams. Uh, he, he got up there August 25th, uh, five days before the opener, and started setting up tree stands and trail cameras, and he's up there for the entire month. Um, and so he had a trail cam down basically in the bowl where all those elk had been going. Uh, but he was a really nice guy. We talked to him. He kind of gave us some pointers, actually. Uh, he said he'd been hunting that area for 25 years. Uh, yep, and uh, and it's kind of funny. He he told he saw where we were sitting, and he's like, you know, that's not a bad spot. He said sometimes they'll come in and out of here, but you know, I usually see them over on the tree line, and uh, and so I was like, oh, okay, and you know, we talked for a few minutes more, and I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, if we do sit here, are we going to screw anything up? And he assured us that no, you know, he was doing his own thing, and uh, we were allowed to do whatever we wanted, and so. We parted ways, and he went down to his tree stand, and uh, Charles and I talked it over and decided that we were going to stick to what we were doing, sitting there in that bowl, and, you know, we were just going to peek over the edge every once in a while, and we figured if anything came out in the meadow, we'd be able to hear them. Well, based on everything that we saw, because, like, that path where we were at was just worn oh, down yeah. in front of us. Oh, yeah. And we're... what he was saying didn't make as much sense, because from our angle, it just looked like everything else was open. Like, we didn't see any trail or anything, but right in front of us looked like you know like an interstate yeah so it was a let's see we got there at 245 i want to say we talked to old neil at like 330 and then he went down so we'd been sitting there for a good part of the day and uh again you know we we're mostly just sitting there once in a while we'd peek over the edge uh, about five o'clock i walk up and peek over the edge and i see two other hunters that are sitting 100 yards from us um and just sitting on the edge so i kind of wave at them and they wave at me and uh so then i tell charles well, you know two more and we're starting to think our meadow is not such a good idea and then uh a few minutes later <laughs> i look up and i see jasper at the top of the meadow waving at us he had walked all the way around and long story short sat there the rest of the evening didn't say didn't see anything jasper comes down we meet up with him and uh he's like man i thought you shot that bull I was like, what bull? And uh, he hadn't seen us yet, but apparently a bull came out into the clearing, the smaller bull that we had seen the evening before, and uh, walked out and couldn't have been 50 yards from us. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Did he come out of the tree line that Neil was talking yeah, about? Yeah, if we were to listen to Neil, we would have killed him. Exactly. Well, the deal was, like, where we were sitting in that bull, we weren't that top or that far from the top. We just figured everything was going to be in front of us. The wind yeah. was all in our favor that way. And so, you know, we didn't want to bust our spot by moving around too much. But truthfully, if we just stepped, <laughs> like, stepped another, I don't know, five or six feet higher and just stood up, we would have seen it. Yeah. And what we also didn't see is those hunters had come in, come out at that point right. and spooked the bull. Because ja- yeah. Jasper was up there watching all this. He, he watched the bull come out. And then uh, he watched the bull just basically stop in his tracks, turn around, and run off. And then a few minutes later, those two hunters that I had seen came out. And so, you know, if those hunters hadn't been there, maybe we would have heard him or seen him or, you know, got a shot at him. So uh, so we saw three hunters that day. We get back to camp. Charles, I mean, uh, Luke and Ryan, I think they saw four or six. Six. Six, six hunters. Six hunters that day. In like four different spots, I think. Yeah, yeah, we put in some miles. Like we definitely mm-hmm. were kind of all over the place uh, because we kept seeing hunters. Yeah, and basically moved. hunters was the rest of our trip. I yeah. mean, we like that Every, first day we didn't see any somehow, but the rest of the trip 
every day, multiple times a day. Pretty much until, you know, the last day and a half, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'd pick what we thought would be a good spot and we'd get there and either somebody would already be there or as soon as we sat down, somebody would come strolling past. You know? Well, I know we talked about it while we were out there, but did anyone keep an actual tally of how many states we had covered? I was about there? to bring that up. I mean, oh, we had yeah. Minnesota, New York, Pennsylvania, California. Iowa, California, North Carolina, North Carolina Virginia, Virginia, Nevada. Nevada? I didn't see that hey, one. Well, we uh, talked to that Charles Wright, that guy that was glassing. He was from Nevada. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention just the other people from Idaho, you know, yeah. the locals that were there. Um, pretty so, good representation. Yeah. So, and so that was pretty much the, the rest of our trip was hunters. And so, you know, we described that was the first full day. So the next day we're still back in the back country. And well, we, now, wait a second. Huh? What? Luke and I didn't get to talk about oh, our I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Y'all talk about y'all's day. Oh, that's we, right. Y'all we did. had a pretty entertaining yeah. encounter. But we, we went up a different drainage, kind of the opposite way. And we ended up, I mean, we had a bull bugling yeah. and a hunter bugling, but it was the same bull that we had been hearing that kind of had that funny chuckle. Funny chuckle. And yeah, so there was me and another hunter calling to the same bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, we were talking about them being call shy. We're pretty sure that we never actually saw it, but we're pretty sure he had a, a herd with him. Um, and it was really the cows that when they heard, uh, any kind of a call, like they were pretty much heading the opposite direction. And of course, that herd bull's going to follow. And so, I think if I would have been quiet, he was actually getting closer. I, I you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think if I'd have just sat there, I think he'd have came right to us. But I started calling, um, and uh, he got, you know, a little bit closer one time, and then, and then started going the opposite direction. So, yeah, but, we had found a cool place to set up. We had kind of found a. A pretty good saddle kind of yeah. transition point into a meadow but again there we were we were really kind of surrounded by surrounded by hunters really yeah. but we decided that luke had kind of heard where there's elk went and so we started side hilling trying to kind of get over to that other drainage that it sounded like they went into and as we're walking i was in front and i saw something kind of take off running and i I kind of dropped down. I looked back at Luke, and I, I just said, "Was that a bear?" And he, I mean, he saw it too, and he's like, "Yeah, I think so." And we got up there, and sure enough, there's a pretty nice black bear standing. What was 65 yeah, yards? Yeah, I ranged him at 61 yards. That that accounted for the incline because he yeah. ran uphill, so he was probably like 55 yards yeah. straight line distance. And I didn't know that our tag was good for a black bear though Luke kept telling me it was I was uh, unfortunately I was I was doubting his wisdom which kind of made me second guess my yeah. uh, opinion because it's not like I read it I just remember Jasper telling us yeah. so a, hearsay is the best form of fact <laughs> just, yeah. just to clarify yeah, a non-resident elk tag in Idaho is you can also shoot a bear wolf or cougar with right so, yeah. so we were legal to shoot that bear now he yeah. didn't have even though it was a long shot. It would have been uh, a tough shot on that one. And he, he actually was kind of behind this uh, pine tree, covering up a lot of his vitals. So it wasn't giving us a real good shot there, but sat there long enough for probably a minute or two. Yeah, just and, staring at us. And let us take some pictures. It was really cool. That's the closest I've ever been to a bear, for sure. And then he got cl- That was what was And then he, he, uh, he uh, actually went kind of to our right, 
at about the same altitude, maybe coming down just a little bit, and then got into some brush and started coming towards us. And uh, now I want to know who was protecting who in this situation. <laughs> so which one of y'all had bear spray? Which I, one of y'all? I had knocked. An, I think we both knocked an arrow. Oh, okay. I, I had not when he was that far because I knew that I couldn't make that yeah, shot. I had knocked an arrow, and then I had the bear spray. But then as he got closer, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna shoot that thing." And so I kind of gave the bear spray to Ryan, and he was sitting there. He took the safety off. He was ready, and I was sitting there fiddling with my quiver, trying to knock an arrow. And he poked his head out at about 30 yards out of this 32 brush. 32 yards, yeah. Um, and uh, he, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest shot, but he poked his head out and kind of looked at us for a second. And then just mosey, you know, kind of got back down in the brush. Yeah, never and spooked. I never could get ready in time, so we didn't get a shot off on it. But it was a really cool experience. Yeah, yeah um, first time to see a bear. And, you know, I wasn't really nervous when he was just sitting, you know, ran away from us and was sitting there looking at us. As he started, you could see him through the brush kind of coming down to us. That got a little, like, yeah, eh, okay. Yeah, I just expected him to be, to be, like, afraid of us. Yeah. He wasn't at <laughs> he all. He was not. And we weren't, I mean, we were whispering, but, like, there was no doubt. Well, yeah, he, he knew all about us. So. <laughs> yeah, he knew what we were and yeah. was uh, showing us that he was not afraid of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then we continued this side hill for a long time and never never did get on those elk. Bumped into two more hunters. They were spike camping up on that. Yeah. In, uh, like, probably three, four hundred yards yeah. from us. Yeah, yeah. So that was our eventful yeah. evening. So that ended day two, and uh, we camped down uh, down at some water that night because we had learned our lesson. Uh, day three, we woke up. Uh, Luke and I went to went and sat over some wallows that we had heard the chuckling bull uh, at the, the basically the morning before. He was in that area, so we went and sat those walls. Uh, Charles was all pumped about the bear and oh, yeah. slightly angry that he wasn't with him. <laughs> so, oh, I, I felt a little cheated. <laughs> so uh, Huey and Jasper went up there again looking for the bear slash elk. Ryan decided to go to the meadow that we had been at the, the day before. And pretty uneventful morning uh, that morning. Pretty quiet. Uh, I'm pretty sure Charles and Jasper bumped into some more hunters. Yeah, we bumped into hunters, and then we were able to actually find that camera that you had put out. Oh, that's right. I left a trail camera up uh, from a visit my wife and I did in late July, I think. Uh, so that was pretty neat. Uh, lots of hunters on the camera. Lots of hunters on the camera. I definitely we ran into too. some of the same guys that uh, Luke and Ryan had run into the day before. Yeah. I mean, nice guys, but there was one guy that... His group spanned like six or seven different states. Yeah, everybody out there was really cool. Like, yeah, I mean, really yeah, nice we didn't guys. have any bad encounters. Um, you know, it, it was frustrating, but I think everybody was kind of equally frustrated mm -hmm. at the situation. And so, you know, nobody, nobody was ugly. No, yeah. no fights or anything like that. So I think Luke and I, Luke and I were the first ones back to camp. Uh, we were going to meet back up at lunch. Everybody except for Ryan, he decided he was probably going to spend the day up there at the meadow. Uh, so Luke and I are chilling at camp, and down the trail comes old Neil, and uh, Neil gave us a little uh, 
yeah, not mean talking to you, but basically told us we were camped in a stupid spot <laughs> because we were <laughs> in a little meadow with water, and that's where the elk like to hang out and stuff. And but it was right but, on the way to his tree yeah, stand. Yeah, right on the way to his tree stand yeah, for the but morning. Then he, he kind of changed his attitude when we were like, okay, well, there's also a camp over here, yeah. a camp over here, and a camp over Yeah, here. when we told him about all the other hunters and camps and stuff, he so was kind of like, oh. We were not the biggest problem yeah. in the area. Uh, and then while we were waiting on Charles and Jasper to get back, I, I was just playing on my phone on Onyx looking around and uh, Jasper had sent us some pins of where he had seen some elk uh, you know the day before we had got there and I was looking at one of them and there's basically these two little I mean I wouldn't even call them mountains you know little hills right off the road and uh, I kind of had the idea I was like man these look just basically it looks like a spot that people would overlook you know we had overlooked it uh, but just judging by all the camps we were seeing in the backcountry, I was like, maybe it's just crazy enough that w- if we went over, you know, basically right off the road, that nobody else is doing that. So Jasper and Charles come back. Uh, I think Jasper, pretty sure Jasper's, you know, I know Jasper saw some elk that morning. Uh, um, yeah, we had, we heard a bugle that we were pretty sure was another hunter, and so we kind of blew it off until we heard that same deep chuckling bull respond to it. Uh, and he was in—he was responding from the same area that we camped in the first day. Seemed like so. Jasper and I made a made a move towards it. And he was coming down, and that other hunter was staying kind of put where he was at. Uh, anyway, long story short, uh, Jasper went in, but that bull never showed himself. So, so we came down. But you know, that that bull was actually like, you know wouldn't let out a full bugle yeah. exactly but he, he wanted was, to like he was being fairly vocal yeah he was being very vocal like yeah. he would respond to mm-hmm. most calls like yeah. throughout the day and uh i mean we all heard him i think every hunter in that whole area heard him multiple yeah. times like he would let you know that he's there mm-hmm. uh he just wasn't going to come to you yeah uh so, so jasper and charles get back and um we talked to Jasper, and uh, you know, I told him, I was like, hey, you know, maybe we should go try this out. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you know, honestly, I was all for this backcountry stuff, but I also, you know, seen these elk up close to the road. So we uh, we head back to the truck, uh, hung out at camp for a minute, and that evening went up to that, uh, we, we, kept, we kind of nicknamed it the Mini Mountain. And uh, Luke, or yeah, Luke and Jasper kind of went to the north side. Me and Charles went to the south side and get up on top and we'd made a plan basically they were going to go to the north we were going to go to the south and we were going to meet on the west side we walked in from the east and uh, so we got up to the top charles and i got up to the top and he kind of took one side and i took the other and it was looking pretty elky but we weren't seeing anything and then all of a sudden luke and jasper pop up and they got big smiles on their face and they're like what have y'all seen and i said nothing they're like what have y'all not seen anything and uh, Luke, I'll let you tell what y'all saw up there on top. Uh, so, you know, we had about a half mile walk from the road kind of till we got to the tree line because this is, like John said, this is kind of on the edge. Um, and so on one side was just rolling uh, sage flats as far as you can see. Mm-hmm. And then the mountains kind of started. Uh, so we walked through the sage flats about half a mile, got into the tree line, and we made it maybe 200 yards uh, into the tree line. And uh, there was a fence that separated some kind of grazing boundary. 
and yeah what y'all have to understand about Luke is that uh, he's very um, keen on what's what's the right word for it grazing management grazing <laughs> management there we go grazing management and so he's explaining the finer points to Jasper of grazing management and how one side of the fence is done right and the other side is wrong and then Luke pick up your story well I was just pointing out that the side of the fence that we were not on had better grass it had obviously uh, not been grazed as recently or as hard and so that I thought that the elk were more likely to be on that side of the fence and as I'm saying it a group of 10 uh, cows we didn't see a bull with them but a group of 10 cows popped up at 60 yards and took off time to off running so if I just kept my mouth shut you know we might have uh, hopefully seen them uh, and got a shot on them who knows but uh, it was at least encouraging that was probably the closest that any of us had gotten Mm-hmm. to elk at that point yeah and uh and it didn't look like we just scared them you know completely off the mountain mm-hmm. uh so we decided to kind of him and i split up he went about another two or three hundred yards up and uh and then we just kind of went across the mountain that way and as we were going across probably 10 minutes after that um about 100 yards in front of me a uh a raghorn i only saw one side he had three points on one side uh, kind of spooked up. This is middle of the afternoon, so they're all in kind of the bedding area. So we've definitely found, you know, a really good bedding area at this point. And uh, we kind of got out of there as quick as we could because we didn't want to, uh, we didn't want to disturb the area too much. Um, like I said, we knew we had a bedding area, so now it's just kind of figuring out how to hunt it. Um, and that, so right after that is when we went up. Actually, I take that back. We went to the top of the ridge. Uh, we were about to start. We were kind of making our way over to kind of a rally point with John and Charles, and spotted a cow down in the valley. Um, I spotted it first, and so we kind of came up. Me and Jasper came up with a plan. There was uh, we were probably towards the top of this hill, uh, so it was about 400 yards away at the very bottom, and there was a line of kind of sparse trees uh so i started my, making my way down trying to stalk down to it and uh jasper was stayed at the top and tried to get into a position where uh, he could kind of direct me or tell me to stop if if i was drawing too much attention to myself and uh got down there and the elk was not there apparently there was three mule deer does that had seen me and when they saw me moving they they blew out and that spooked the uh the cow away yeah um so but you know in two hours we had seen you know multiple groups of elk and made a play on one of them and again this is probably less than half a mile from the road yeah uh, on these two little hills so so luke and jasper get back up to us and uh we decide that we're just going to spread out around this ridge and do some classing and then uh you know, they had told us they had bumped some elk, and it was about 20 minutes till dark, 20 to 30 minutes, and I don't know why, but I just like, hey, y'all stay here in glass. I was like, I'm going to start easing my way back to the truck, and maybe I can run into some of those elk that y'all bumped, and they agreed to that, and so they spread out. I took off down the hill, you know, moving real slow, and uh, about that time, the thermal switched, so the wind was kind of going downhill, 
and I'm easing along, and I couldn't see it, but probably 40 yards in front of me, I hear, you know, footsteps running off, and I, I bumped an elk, you know, again, didn't see it, but that's, you know, it had to be, and so I pull out my cow call, start kind of cow calling, and uh, still easing my way down, and then down in the, uh, in the valley, I hear a bugle, and I was like, I know that's an elk. So I kind of pick up my pace a little bit, cow call a little bit, and I hear the bugle again, and I'm like, man, that is not that far away. So now I really pick up my pace, work my way down the ridge, work my way towards the bugle, and I hear another bugle, and it's like, it's right at the road. And so now I'm starting to question myself, and I was actually wondering if it was a guy, you know, parked on the road, bugling up in there, just trying to get a response. Um, but again, I, like it, it just sounded like a real elk. And so at this point, I'm just about running. I'm at a pretty good pace, heading down, and uh, I kind of get to where the trees stop, and I come out into the open, and I start seeing cows to my left coming out of that valley. And so I, uh, there's a, two pine trees close together, and so I kind of run up to that point, and then here comes Mr. Herdbull. And he, he's not quite as big as the one we saw in the meadow that one night. But he's nice, definitely a big, nice six by six. And they're like probably 150 yards at this point when I see him. So I, I'm cow calling, I throw my pack down, grab my, or, uh, my bow's in my hand already. And uh, they're not really paying attention to my cow calls. And they're headed out into the wide open sage flat. And so I grab my bugle tube, kind of a desperation type thing. And I start kicking on this dead tree that's next to me, I bugle. The bull stops, looks up at me, and again, I'm completely hidden by the pine trees, so it's perfect. So I'm kicking brush, and I'm hitting the tree, bugle again, I'm out of breath, so my bugle's not the best, but, you know, <laughs> I think it would work. And uh, the bull kind of looks up at me again, bugles, turns around, and just starts pushing his cows away from me as fast as he possibly can. How far was he away from you? Uh, he was about 200 yards at that point. And I mean, and like... Like, the cows were literally standing on the road. He was kind of in the ditch right before the road. And, again, it was just wide open in front of me. So, I, I just didn't... There was nothing I could do. I just had to sit there and watch them work their way out into the flats. And uh, I watched them for a good 10 minutes. And then uh, these other guys came down the hill. And I pointed... They, you know, they had worked off further. They were probably half a mile away. Basically worked their way down into a wide open little drainage that had a little creek in it. And took off so we had, we had stopped on the ridge line because we heard the bugling back and forth and we knew yeah. that that was john bugling to another bull yeah. and so we wanted to make sure we didn't screw up john's hunt so we stopped and waited there for about 10 minutes and we just slowly started making our way down there yeah met up with him and again like i i keep trying to think back and think if there's anything i could have done different and i really don't know i mean i think i just yeah i, I think i was too far to bugle for the bugle to work you know i think the already being call shy i think you know if i would have been 100 yards closer i think he would have had to come check me out but just being at that 200 yard mark mark you know he just it was easier for him to push his cows away than to come fight me and so. it, it really uh and also we weren't familiar with that area at all right yeah that was our first really time in there it. um so we didn't do a lot of scouting in that that spot because we were like oh it's right next to the road every Tom, Dick, and Harry's going to be yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, Ryan did have another encounter that evening. Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, the, the guys had told me that the hike up to the meadow was no big deal. <laughs> no, 
it wasn't that bad. And so I've the only difference was I had my full pack on. Yeah. And it, it, it was a bit of a brutal hike up. It wasn't too bad, just a lot of a lot of blowdown through there. But I got up there I don't know, maybe ten thirty. Didn't hear anything on my way up, didn't see anything. So I kinda got to a spot that I think Neil had told us was kind of an elk highway. And sure enough, I mean, there was a couple of really good game trails up there. And so I found a spot at the top of the bowl, was going to sit there and just kind of see if anything happened. And I decided while I was sitting there, I was going to try to hike up to the very top to see if I could call my wife and check in. And I get up there, I had some signal, I call her. There was a mountain goat. Oh, gosh. I don't know, he was probably seven or 800 yards away. So I was taking some pictures of him and was just kind of standing there on this big, you know, big rock, basically. And then all of a sudden, about 15 yards behind me, I just kind of hear this. I don't even know what the sound was. Kind of a grunt, growl thing. And I turn around and there's another stinking bear. <laughs> 15 yards, but luckily, I think we both, if, if he was wearing pants, he probably would have needed to change them too. We, I think we both scared each other pretty good. And, so he took off running, and I jumped off of that rock and started heading downhill. If it was a grizzly bear, he'd probably be dead. No, I'd have fought him. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah, speaking that, of, was he was he black? No, no, no he color phase. Yeah, he was a color phase, which that was probably some of my fear. All I saw was a brown fur ball, and I was like, <laughs> man, I hope that's not a grizzly. But it wasn't. It wasn't near big enough to be a grizzly. Yeah, and go, going into the trip. You know, we had done some research and asked around, and like there, there definitely was not a grizzly population in the area we were at. But several people agreed that there was a possibility that there yeah, could be a grizzly be in the area. Yeah, like, yeah, like it would range. not be a surprise if we saw a grizzly. So. Yeah, so that I, that was definitely the most excitement I had that day. I, I sat there all afternoon, and there was again that you know I had a, there was a bull bugling kind of in the drainage across the meadow. He was going back and forth with another hunter. But I just, I was kind of hoping that that hunter might end up pushing that bull and his cows out into the meadow and come down into that bowl. But I never saw him. And so I I finally, I packed up and headed down. I ended up, I didn't see anything that day other than the bear and goat. So we're going to run out of time if we keep going uh, day by day like this. And really that was honestly that was just about the end of the excitement you know we we did see some more cows we hunted the mini mountain the next day hey we we if charles and i weren't a bunch of morons we could have had a (laughs) chance yeah so we charles and i (laughs) go back to the mini mountain that next morning and we go and we set up on the south side and for some reason it just never struck us to look in front of us well, <laughs> to, to, to be prepared to shoot. To be prepared at all. Yeah. So we're sitting on top of the ridge, totally, you know, skyline. skyline. And we're just glassing. I never put an arrow on, never got my release out. I got bored because we I haven't seen a bear yet. I'm Ryan has seen two. And I figured <laughs> so, if I And just that's why it, Charles and Ryan are together. I Charles think, had decided that Ryan was the bear magnet. Yeah. And so he just followed him around the rest of yeah. the time. And so I sit down and start playing games on my phone. Ryan is glassing at like a mile away. Yeah. And yeah. I I say to him, Hey, do you hear that? 
And he was like, no, I didn't hear it. And I was like, ah, okay. I guess I'll just go back to playing my games. <laughs> and I say it again as I turn around, I see the look on his face. And in an instant, it goes from 100% happiness and excitement to the next instant being totally down in the dumps. <laughs> yeah, he kicked his dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had Charles had said, do you hear that? And as soon as I look at him, I can see a cow. What, what was she? 63. 63 yards away. They had just stepped out of this clearing right in front of us. And she would, I mean, she had us pegged the moment she stepped out there. And so we sat there for a couple minutes with her. And she even, she came out a little further. She had a calf with her. Couldn't find out nine other cows with her. And, yeah, just a, just a bonehead move. If we had just moved down a little bit, gotten behind a cedar, I think we would have, we would have at least had a better opportunity at her. The upside to having my phone out is I got a video of them running away. Yeah. (laughs) And we, we did see some more elk. Uh, most of it was at a distance from then on. Uh, we, uh, we split up, we, you know, Ryan and Jasper, I, we did another big hike to the top over uh, tops on top of some meadows. Uh, Ryan spotted an awesome deadhead that's now in the back of the truck and about to go over my fireplace. Uh, Luke and Charles went up after the bears again. Um, found a cool den. Yeah, some they found a, some kind of den. Luke stuck his face in it. Oh, <laughs> I did get probably, it was not a wise choice how close I got. Um, but Charles was, had him covered. I think it was a lion's den based yeah. on the tracks. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so switching switching out of story time and into more, I don't know, tactics time, I guess. So next time, let's say next time, what would you guys do differently? Uh, I'm going to say like going into the trip, like about to leave home, what would you do or would you have done at that point? Luke, we'll start with you. Sorry, throwing him on the spot here. I'm sure I'm going to... Uh, step on you guys' toes, but I think having a little bit better understanding of the area. So this is a new spot for us. We've previously been going to a different area, uh, and the, the other unit that we went to in that that area, there was not near as much road access, mm-hmm. and so you really could get way back in there and kind of get to where a lot of the action was. Um, and we had success at that other one. I mean, this is the first troop we've been shut out yeah. on. Uh, I, I think there was m- probably more elk here. Yes. But I think we did and a better. Lot more sign. Like you couldn't yeah. walk through the woods for you know Rub. 15 minutes without seeing a rub yeah. uh, or a well-defined game trail. Mm-hmm. But but the hunting was tougher because of the roads and the pressure. Yeah. So you know we were prepared to do spike camps and basically live out of our backpacks um, because we were basing it off of the last place that we went. But this place. Um, was you know more conducive to basically just hunting out of the truck or, or hunting from you know the truck and yeah. from your base camp. Lots of guys with four wheelers and ATVs zooming oh, yeah. so, all over the place. And so because of, there was so much better road access and a lot of game there, uh, you know it was much more crowded. I'm sure COVID didn't help us any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having a little bit better understanding of the area that we were going to go, uh, I felt like you know all of us did at least some scouting from you know onyx and google earth um but i guess none of us really considered that part of it yeah ryan what about you 
Yeah, I mean, I think it goes along with that. It's it's the um, trying to look more for those, you know, defined trails. And everything that we were reading was saying, if you can just get away from the road, then you can get into some of those good bulls. And I think, again, our, our problem was once we, once we got there and we realized really couldn't get away from the roads there uh, and so that was yeah just something I think going forward um, we'll just have to look at I'm, I would like to look at at least more closely is yeah. if we're wanting to really do a, a backcountry hunt find a place that really allows you to do that yeah it's a little more conducive for that yeah yeah, um, I mean part of that's just public land hunting you yeah know, it's just hard that's one of the challenges of it yeah Charles I think, well, I think there's a lot of things. So this is the first hunt, uh, Western hunt that I've been on with y'all. And, um, I think I planned for a lot of contingencies that didn't necessarily come to fruition. I probably would have a much more focused plan when I packed, and uh, <laughs> including <laughs> buying my tag earlier. But like, there was a lot of gear that I brought that I never used yeah. just because we didn't need to use it. Right. And that just kind of comes with experience. Yeah. First time. but 100%. So, like, <laughs> the first 20 hours of our trip has been planning my uh, Christmas and birthday wish list, <laughs> yeah. you know, for yeah. next year. Yeah. Just to have some gear that's more conducive, but at the same time, like, my own training. So, me personally, I like to, you know, strength train more than I like to condition. And I was not prepared nearly as well as y'all were for the the vertical uh, trek that was there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's probably what I would do more. Yeah. Me, I, I, my conditioning definitely wasn't where I wanted it to be. I did better than I expected, honestly. Um, but I, I feel like you could never be in good enough shape, especially living where we live and trying to hunt where we hunted. Yeah. The altitude's um, always going to be a battle. Yeah. And I think for me, I mean, kind of along, you know, obviously we keep saying it, the people, or at least we keep blaming it on the people being the problem. Uh, I think when we were checking the area out, you know, we were saying, hey, like, you know, if this drainage didn't work out, we can go to this drainage or that drainage. I think we need to be more prepared to go from this side of the mountain to that side of the mountain, you know, loading up in the truck and, you know, moving completely if it's not working out. And I, I... I felt like I had that thought in my mind going into this trip, but you know, you get to a spot, you start learning it, you feel comfortable, you get to know the area, and you and you just get attached. And I feel like I feel like getting attached kind of led to our downfall because, like you know, the first three days were pretty action packed, but then the next day got worse, next day got worse, and the last day got worse. And so, you know, having that open mind, just completely packing up and going somewhere else, I think is going to be the takeaway I get. You know, I think another takeaway, and I don't know yet the solution for this, but we ended up being so tied to water. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, um, you know, taking a bigger bladder, that that way I've got two bottles and a bladder, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know exactly what, the, or just finding a place that's got more yeah. water. Uh, not filling up at the... Uh, yeah. A cow pond. Cow pond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that, that was a bit of a, again, I, I wasn't really expecting yeah. that that problem to affect us so much, but 
you know, we had a chance that we saw a really big bull yeah. that we ended up not really being able to go after mm-hmm. like we wanted to because of water. Right. Um, and so, I, again, I, I don't know yet exactly the, the solution there because you don't yeah. want to, you can't pack in. Right, you, know, you can't weigh yourself down that yeah. much. Yeah. Well, I think that that's kind of part of what I was getting at, you know, if we could just carry more water and then I carry, you know, more uh, versatile uh, clothes versus like specific clothes to every contingency, mm-hmm. then it would open up space in my pack as well as, you know, not be a one for one trade, but if it's, you know, an extra five pounds, that's doable if my conditioning's there, you know, and, it, and if more conditioning's there, I guess, but I don't know. I would say one, uh, one positive for the trip uh, is, and, and one thing that I like about doing these Western hunts, because they're earlier, then, you know, we're all whitetail hunters. And so our season hasn't opened yet. And so it kind of helps get at least me like really in the mindset and it, a little more excited for our season to start. And like, I already have some things that I need to work on. For whitetail, I've been, you know, spending half this drive uh, shopping for mm-hmm. some different stuff, equipment that I think I could use. And so it's, it's kind of helped get me in the mindset of hunting season. Yeah. right around the corner um it got me practicing earlier mm-hmm. um so you know that's that's a really it was good tune-up yeah. yeah 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 the other i mean as far as like good things that we did though takeaways like since we've known each other for so long nonverbal communication we were when we were at a distance <laughs> yeah was really good yeah I, that you was kind of crazy i remember one time i think i think i was looking at ryan and we had like left yeah it was when we were talking to that bull on the on the second morning and uh, we had dropped our packs and headed down a little bit. And Jasper and Charles were up top kind of calling for us. And me and Luke and Ryan had gone down. I remember, like, looking at Ryan, making eye contact with Ryan, like, pointing up the hill, pointing at my back, and then giving, like, little walking fingers. <laughs> like, being like, I'm going to go get my pack, then we're going to go down, then we're going to keep going down. And I know exactly what he meant. Yeah. And, uh didn't tell me and then what happened a few seconds later i show up with your back yeah <laughs> in my bag. it was great so uh, so we're about to run out of time but i got one more quick question everybody loves to talk about gear so i want everybody to name one piece of gear they were glad they had uh, or just worked best for you and one piece of gear you would either exchange or wish you had uh we'll go the other way we'll start with charles charles probably has a long list uh, the gear that I would change out, so when I bought my pack, I bought, um, like, straps that would go directly from my pack to my binos, and it just limited me as far as, uh, when I would set my pack down, like, taking my binos, I'd have to, like, carry them or just kind of, oh, do a quick fix with some paracord to tie them to myself. It just wasn't very comfortable if we were going on, like, a longer stock. So, that's one thing that, uh... You know that I wasn't super happy with the thing that that I loved that I know y'all are gonna probably be like, oh yeah, whatever. But I hate iodine tablets, <laughs> and so that Sawyer system yeah. of the squeeze system, it's a cheap deal that, <laughs> frankly, I didn't even pay for. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, but that was a lifesaver. Yeah. Like even the smallest stream, you know, I could get water from. Yeah, so. you're. Uh your cow pond water was slightly less brown than mine was. <laughs> and no floaties. <laughs> no floaties. <laughs> Ryan? I was very pleased with my feet. 
my I had the darn tough socks and my my feet stayed very comfortable, stayed dry, which I was really impressed with. And my boots, I had a pair of crispy boots that I just thought did really well. They were like light enough that I didn't feel like they were weighing me down, but they were aggressive enough for some of the kind of nasty side hilling and you know different stuff. So I was I was very uh, pleased with that. I think my sleep system would be kind of the one thing I wouldn't mind changing. My sleeping pad is not very not very nice. It's small and it doesn't all it really does is separate me from the cold ground it doesn't really provide much cushion but it, I mean it was fine I can I'd use it again but I wouldn't mind maybe upgrading that and my bag was a little cool but I just slept in all my clothes and it was fine you know? but that would probably be the one thing I, I might consider changing out other than that I, I was pretty pleased with all my, all my gear Luke? Uh, so I guess it's kind of a little more on that camping, backpacking topic than hunting, but uh, the opposite of what Ryan said, my <laughs> sleeping pad was awesome. <laughs> Everybody was jealous about it. Uh, it was a Nemo, I don't know the model, but it had like, basically the pillow is like a little air pump that you step on and it fills it up, which was pretty awesome after climbing 9,000 feet and then uh, being out of breath and barely enough lung capacity to stand up not having to blow that mattress up and keep me off the ground and helped with the rocks. Uh, the thing that I would get is a bino harness. So, you know, I'm on a budget and I've had to buy a lot of this equipment. Um, and this is kind of a, you know, it's a DIY, um, over the counter kind of hunt. Uh, so I did not spend the money on a bino harness because I really don't need that with uh, the normal hunting, whitetail hunting that we do. But, you know, those binos, like, just flopping all over the place was not very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Man, I feel like I see a lot of uh, common grounds here. But for me, uh, the thing I would change is definitely my sleep system. Not that I, I, I was very comfortable and I was very warm. It was just bulky. Uh, I have a pretty nice... Kelty zero degree bag, so I was plenty warm, but it just took up so much room in my pack. Uh, and then my pad again is like a you know blow up pad, and so it was very comfortable. But I like I had to pack so carefully just because those two things took up almost half my pack. Uh, so I, I would have to like fold up my pad and put it in there first, and then you know get my bag as tight as I could and stuff it down in there, and then just kind of put everything on top of it. Can we just give a shameless plug for our tent? Those yeah, oh, I was about to. I actually just are, thought of that, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Ryan and I were both using the Lux, I believe that's how you pronounce it, TP, L-U-X-E. Uh, and, man, they were awesome. It's about $130. Yep. Lightweight. Super lightweight, super easy to set up, very quick. Uh, it has a door on both sides, which was very nice. You could put you know, your gear on one side, sleep on the other uh, so yeah, definitely a shout out to that. I was trying to decide between uh, the tent and my bag. Uh, got a new bag this year. It's a Stone Glacier, I believe it's the Evo 4060, maybe. I'll have to double check that. Uh, but just having a, you know, when I got it, I almost thought it was going to be too big. But again, you know, with the sleep system, tent, water, you know, on, on top of all the just gear, hunting gear, food, and everything. Uh, just having that giant bag was very nice 
and but also you know when you took all your camping stuff out you could cinch it down uh there were several times i put my bow on the back strapped it down it didn't move um so yeah i think for me i'd like to adjust my sleeping stuff and uh i was really proud of my tent and my pack so can i can i say one thing though like, go for it so all of our things equipment wise that we would change all revolve around oh, sorry our, folks we got a mustang here hold on <laughs> Everything, everything that we're talking about revolves around our backpacking experience. Right. And I just think it's awesome that we can <clears throat> get out of our comfort zone. So, like, mm -hmm. this is not something that we're used to doing in right. North Texas and Southeast yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, we're flatlanders. <laughs> yeah. We're the we're the park the truck and walk, you know, 100, 200 yards to the tree stand. Yeah, so it's just so. really cool to get out of our comfort zone, learn a new type of hunting. You know, we're not steel hunters. Um, and so I think it's it's really cool to just expand our horizon. And I know I learned a ton on the trip. I do every time we go. Um, and so that's just, I don't know, that's a cool thing. And I'd encourage other people to uh, just get out there and try something new. Absolutely. Don't go to our spot. Yeah, yeah don't, don't go, go to our spot. <laughs> yeah, Idaho sucks. <laughs> but, yeah, and, uh, and again, you know, this was completely DIY. You know, this trip is not that expensive for those of you who want to try it sometime you know just look into it you don't have to go to idaho there's plenty of states you can do over the counter um and yeah really encourage you to get out there and try it we had a blast you know we're coming home somewhat empty-handed but we had a lot of fun a lot of experiences we do have we do have a rack in the back you know we found the deadhead and we're bringing it home uh we heard from jasper about an hour ago he's still hunting he just missed a cow at 45 yards so he's pretty bummed, but he's still out there. I think he's hunting this evening and tomorrow morning before he head, he heads home. So, but uh, yeah, I think this is a great time, great podcast. I'm sure, all you guys had fun, and uh, yeah, I think we're just gonna shut her down. So sorry again for the noise, and we'll see you guys next time. And there we go, our 2020 Idaho elk hunt. I hope you guys could understand all that. It was a great time, great hunt. It was a uh, it was really fun recapping all that all the stories we had a great hunt overall it was just very challenging from the terrain the weather the people uh you know i think we said in there probably too many times that there just seemed to be more people than we'd ever encountered before but again i would encourage all of you guys to do some research and look into one of these hunts they're really not as expensive or complicated as everybody thinks and so with a little research and there's tons and tons of resources out there to, to find all this stuff and in the different states. And yeah, I just encourage you to, you know, even if you had to save up a little bit for a year or two, it's, yeah, it's totally worth it just to get out there, throw yourself in a different environment and try something new. So with that said, I'm running a little bit over, so I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you guys enjoyed it and tune in next week for another edition of the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast.